the bulletin caption for today says that in talking about the sovereignty of Christ, how extensive is this? And this heavy doctrine anchors the Christian's faith and hope amid the seemingly unrelenting display of evil, suffering, and death in the world today. We have this past week experienced that here in our own church family in the passing of our brother Carl. And as we sang earlier this morning in talking about heaven, he is there already. Since the last time I spoke with you, there are others who would have passed on. There was a teacher this past week who I'm told was at the airport and suddenly died who would have just come back from a conference and the week before uh, involved with the competition at the sporting arena, very actively involved. There are others that you know of who are experiencing various forms of challenges. And as you listen to the media, both locally and internationally, I'm sure you are convinced that at times you draw the conclusion and wondering again whether or not things are going to get any better. But you and I know the answer to that already if you are reading your Bible. It's going to get progressively worse. But I want to encourage you that amid all of these changes in the world today, that Jesus Christ is still God. I want to talk to you today, particularly with respect to that, fact that Jesus is indeed God, that he is indeed supreme, and he should be the central figure in our lives. And so even though you might be listening and experiencing and seeing different things happening in the world, I want you not to lose hope. The supremacy and centrality of Jesus Christ is indeed our anchor. Now to the We've had a wonderful worship experience thus far this morning. Do you agree? Amen. I believe, though, that the worship of Jesus Christ is an enigma to those who do not know him. But to us, he is life. He is God. Some time ago, my family and I went on a trip to Florida. We went in this dark place for food. <laughs> I don't remember the name of the restaurant, but it was dark, Sister Sylvia. But we were provoked to go there because of an attack of hunger. And so Going in, we sat before we sat, I, of course, haven't been in the place before, looked around to locate a restroom so that I can go and wash up. We asked the waiter who came by, and she pointed to the direction where we should go. I did. Went in, found the male's restroom, went in, washed up, 
It was not a straight path, by the way, to get to the male's restroom, in case you're curious, trying to visualize what this restroom looks like. Got to the restroom, finished washing up, coming out. I turned left. And opened the door, went in. All the ladies were coming out. <laughs> that was my oops moment. But I'm so glad. <laughs> uh, I took a while before I got to the table and told my family what had just happened. But I'm so glad God doesn't have an oops moment. The fact that Jesus Christ is God and he is supreme, he doesn't have to say oops. There's nothing that surprises him. He doesn't make mistakes. God has determined before the foundation of the world that his son would be glorified. Everything was created, everything was created for his pleasure and for his glory. That includes you and me. Everything was created for his pleasure and his glory. I want to invite you to look in your Bible if you would travel to the constituency of Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 20, and it is powerful. I will just focus on one verse because of the potency of this passage. There's not enough time to go through this expositionally today. But starting at verse 9, Paul here speaking, says, For this reason, since the day we heard about this, we have not stopped praying for you and asking that you may be filled with all full knowledge of God's will with respect to all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you might live in a manner worthy of the Lord and be fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit while doing all kinds of good, good things and growing in the full knowledge of God. You are being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might patiently endure everything with joy and might thank the Father who has enabled us to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. God has rescued us from the power of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of his Son, whom he loves, through whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether they are kings, lords, rulers, or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself existed before anything else did, and he holds all things together. He is also the head of the body, which is the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might have first place in everything. For God was pleased 
to have all of his divine essence inhabit him. Through the Son, God also reconciled all things to himself, thereby making peace through the blood of the cross. My brothers and sisters, when you are in distress, run. Hear to this amazing litany of glorious truth concerning Jesus Christ and his greatness. And I just want to do a quick drive-by here in terms of listing just a few of these glorious truths. But there is a lot of amino acids here. In other words, there's a lot of meat in this passage. In humans, it is this meat that is essential formation of enzymes that regulates or controls chemical reactions throughout your body. I also believe, spiritually speaking, that we need to be grounded in solid doctrine if we are to have to function effectively as an individual or as collectively as a body of believers. And so the doctrine of the sovereignty and supremacy and centrality of Jesus Christ is indeed strong meat. Now, I know some of you are vegetarian. Switch. Eat this meat today. It is good for you. Let me do a quick drive-by and basically just highlight a few things that we note in this passage here. Let's look from verse 14 to begin with. It says, one of the things said here in verse 14 is, In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Two, he is the image of the invisible God. Ancient people always wanted to find out about this mystery, about who God is. The Greeks, the Greek philosophers tried to find out we have the Asian, Chinese, sage, all trying to figure out who this God is. And we have been told here that if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. We are told also that he is the firstborn of creation. That is, the especially honored first and only son over all creation. Listen to what it says here in verse 16, and I'll come back to this. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him. Not only that, it says all things were created through him. All things were created for him. So if we look at verse 16, which we will come back to, all things were created by him, through him, and for him. Verse 17 tells us that he is before all things. Some of you, do you get upset if somebody calls you a thing? Some vehemence do, <laughs> all right? I know thing. 
But if you were created, would you, for the moment, consider yourself a thing and not be offended? In him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, verse 18. He is also the firstborn from the dead. In everything, he is preeminent. In him, all the fullness was pleased to dwell. Something else mentioned in verse 20. He reconciles all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven. Again in verse 20, he makes peace by the blood of the cross that we just heard, just been ministered to by Sister Denise and our brother Mike. Glory of the cross, peace through his blood. Why is it that we need to know all of this about Christ? Is it just something that we can list so that we can have a head or intellectual knowledge about these attributes of Christ? I say no. Instead, we are to become doers of the word. This is not for information, but for application to our lives. We are told here in this passage that as God says to us through Paul, and Paul's speaking here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 17. It tells us that he is the image of the invisible God. Not a man made in the image of God. So that he who, this is what scripture tells us, so that he who has seen him, that is Jesus Christ, has seen the Father, and his glory was the glory of the only begotten of the Father in John chapter 1, and also John chapter 14, verse 9. He's also very far from the beginning himself a creature, that he is the creator. For by him were all things created, whether they are, he- they are in heaven and or on earth, whether they are visible or invisible. All things were created by him. He made all things out of nothing. I think, again, we, as we quickly read through scriptures and maybe become dull of hearing and actually blind and looking at some of these marvelous truths laced in scripture. When we think of the fact that God had, Jesus Christ specifically mentioned here, has made all things, all things, Nothing is exempt. He made all things out of nothing, the highest angel in heaven, as well as the men upon the earth. He made the world, the upper world, the lower world, with all the inhabitants of both. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made which was made, John 1.3. And so he speaks here as if there were several orders with respect to verse 16, as if there are several orders of angels. How many of you have ever heard the term, the devil made me do it? Yeah. By the way, he's, the devil is not omnipresent. 
And sometimes somebody in Andros is saying it probably the same time you are here in New Providence is saying it. Now, by the way, the devil does have help, a lot of help. By the way, some of you may have volunteered <laughs> unknowingly. We know that the devil do attend church, right? Whether it's thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, which must signify either different degrees of excellence or different offices and employment. So the devil does have his contingent. Angels, authorities, and powers. But listen, we told in Colossians 2.15 about what Jesus Christ did. Colossians 2.15 says, He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them by him. I like that. And so regardless of what's going on in the world, when you think and you see and you experience some of the atrocities in the world, you need not give up hope. Jesus Christ is still supreme. He has not abdicated his position. He is still on the throne. And I'm here to encourage you that indeed, our Lord has already disgraced and disarmed the authorities publicly, and that was done on the cross. Ephesians 6.12 tells us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places or heavenly realm. My brothers and sisters, Christ knew from the very beginning that these, per, these angels, these angels we call fallen angels, and this entity we call Satan, the devil, Lucifer, from the very beginning, Christ knew that he would be evil. He knew his role. This was not a moment when he became evil for God to say, oops, I made a mistake, or this was a surprise. That was not the case. And so, because God knew this with infinite wisdom, the Holy Trinity took it all into account as they planned the history of our salvation and the triumphs of his grace at Calvary. I'm here to remind you and tell you again that Christ is indeed the eternal wisdom of the Father. And the world was made in wisdom. He is the eternal word, and the world was made by the word of God. He is the arm of the Lord, and the world and the world was made by that am. All things, I say again, are created by him and for him. Being created by him, they were created for him. Being made by his power, they were made according to his pleasure and for his praise. He is the end, and he is the beginning. He is the end, as well as the cause of all things. And so to him are all things. He was before all things. He had a being before the world was made, before the beginning of time. Therefore, he was from all eternity. And in the beginning, John 1, 1 tells us, in the beginning the word, the word was made, was with God, and was God. He not only had a being before he was born of a virgin, but he had a being before all time. Some of us have problems thinking about what happened last week, so it's difficult to figure out when to think back, imagine what it was like 
before time began. And Jesus Christ was already there in the beginning. By him, I tell you again, all things consist. They not only subsist in their beings, but they consist in their order and in their dependencies. He not only created them all at first, but it is by the word of his power that they are still held together. The reason why you do not disintegrate even in this diffuse before me is because you're being held together by the power of his word. That's powerful. But not only you and I, all things, this universe that we are in, the whole creation is kept together by the power of the Son of God and made to consist in its proper frame. It is preserved from disbandoning and running into confusion had it not been because of the power of his word. I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ is indeed supreme. He is the central figure of scripture. He is all-powerful. He is sovereign. It was the will of the Father that he should have all power in heaven and on earth, and he might be preferred above angels and all the powers in heaven. He has also obtained a more excellent name, according to Hebrews, than they, and that in all the affairs of the kingdom of God among men, he should have the preeminence. He has the preeminence in the hearts of his people, above the world and the flesh. The question is for us today, really, can we answer that in the affirmative? Does Jesus Christ have the preeminence in your life and in my life? We know what God's will is, that Jesus Christ would have the preeminence in our lives. Jesus Christ will, will be glorified. That is already preordained. All things were made for him and by him. He has the preeminence in the hearts of his people above the world and the flesh. And by giving him the preeminence, we comply with the Father's will, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. All fullness, we are reminded, dwell in him. And it, is ple and it pleases the Father that it should do so, not only in the fullness of abundance for himself, but also in the redundance for us. We have no grace. We have no righteousness. We have no strength. We have no merit of our own. But we can find all of these things in their fullness in the person of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I encourage you today, if you don't know him, get to know him, because getting to know him is truly life living large. Timothy tells us, and I, I'm so pleased with what Paul says to Timothy as a reminder, because sometimes we can become distracted and disheartened. And just a reminder in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, it tells us that he saved us, God saved us, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our own accomplishments, but according to his own purpose and the grace that was given to us in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, before time began. Listen to that again. He saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our own accomplishments, so he brought nothing to the table, but according to his own purpose and the grace that was given to us in Jesus Christ or the Messiah. But when did this happen? Before time began. Wow, that's amazing. He saved us 
he has brought us into a state in which salvation is so certain that we can speak of it uh, in the past tense. It's already done. It's a done issue. He called us with a holy calling, a calling which is in its own nature holy and which leads to holiness of life, not according to our works. This idea that our own works have nothing to do with inducing God to call us. There's nothing that we had that you can offer to God that can persuade him to call us. This is solely, exclusively the work of God's grace, and we have been the beneficiaries thereof. According to his own purpose and for his grace, we have been called. And so I'm encouraging you as you think about your existence, your, why you wake up, you breathe in and out day after day, know that God has called you. You exist for his pleasure so that God wants to share himself with us. That's an amazing concept that I cannot fully comprehend. And yet, by his grace, I am able to hold on to that truth or apprehend it. And I hope that we would ponder these truths from time to time as we focus on why we are here. And then when we look at those things that are happening around us in the world today, we can be encouraged because Jesus Christ is indeed still supreme. He is the central figure, the central reason why everything does exist, including what we call demonic forces. Can you imagine that, that even the cross that we sang about a moment ago, and as we remember the Lord around the table a few moments ago, all of what we consider to be the evil, as I mentioned last week, in terms of the worst evil, is that they will take the Son of God and crucify him. This innocent, innocent being, this innocent man, this holy man, they will nail to the cross. That's the height of evil. Yet the evil forces thought that they had won. And yet, God did not say, oops, I didn't anticipate this. All of this was planned long before eternity passed. And yet God uses it for his glory and his honor. And so when I see and we hear collectively the atrocities of what's happening in the world today, I encourage you not to lose heart, not to lose hope. God is still in control. Jesus Christ is still sovereign. He is still the central figure. And his father has already preordained the fact that his son will receive glory will be on it. You remember the scripture verse that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. You can guarantee that God's will will be accomplished. God had you and God had me on his mind way back in eternity past. God had Jesus Christ in mind, inclusive of Calvary, way back in eternity past. God had grace on his mind way back in eternity past. We have been the recipient of that grace so that we can say today we have salvation way back before the beginning of time, before there was anything, before there was anything and anyone made, before there was even human sin, before there was an angel, before there was angelic sin, before there was guilt. Way back then, God had you and me on his mind. God had the fact that his son would be glorified that was his ultimate purpose and for his pleasure. Just the thought of that could be too deep for us. It is indeed deep, too deep for me. That Christ might be known, though, is the focus. That Christ might be known as infinitely beautiful. And isn't he beautiful? He certainly is. And his value 
we cannot measure. So he is of immeasurable value. That is the purpose. And so when and what we see, place it against the template of the fact that Jesus Christ is to be known. And his father will go to any extent to make sure that happens. And even though we do not understand it, we cannot figure out why certain things are happening. Please never lose hope of this fact that Jesus Christ is still sovereign. Don't you lose heart. Don't you lose faith. He is still the central figure of Scripture. And his father has declared that he will be. He will be honored and glorified. And so God's sovereignty over sin is in Jesus Christ, I believe, a very important part of what his sovereignty and the centrality of Christ brings to our lives. And just like meat, I wish to suggest to you in closing maybe just five things. This is five variations of meat in terms of with the, with the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. Five reasons why it's important that you never lose hope of this truth. One, that the sovereignty of God over sin through Jesus Christ is important because of this. One, it is objectively true. Jesus Christ is indeed sovereign. It is objectively true. Not merely an opinion or merely a human idea. In Second Thessalonians 2, we are told that the coming of the lawless one will be accompanied by the power of Satan. He will use every kind of power, including miraculous signs and lying wonders, and every type of evil to deceive those who are dying, those who refuse to love the truth that would save them. My brothers and sisters, truth does matter. Truth does matter. So it is indeed an objective truth. Secondly, it makes clear that Christ alone is to be worshipped. Not as mentioned in Second Colossians chapter 2, verse 18, that says, Let no one who delights in humility and in the worship of angels cheat you out of the prize by rejoicing about what he has seen. Such a person is puffed up for no reason by his carnal mind. Instead, we are admonished to worship the one who made them. Jesus Christ is to be worshipped alone. He is the creator of everything. And thirdly, like in Paul's day, we live in a very pluralistic intellectual atmosphere where Christians are captivated by high-sounding heresies. In Colossians chapter 2, again, verse 8, it says, See to it that no one enslave you through philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions or according to basic principles of the world and not according to the Messiah. Christ's sovereignty acts as a protection, as a ballast in a boat against traditions and philosophies, against humanism. And fourth, it makes us valiant in the face of odds that seem overwhelmingly to the natural or naked eye. Luke chapter 22 tells us, and Jesus was speaking here, it says, Simon, Simon, listen. Satan has asked permission to sift you, all of you, like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your own faith may not fail. When you have come back, you must strengthen your brothers. Again, we must be valiant. And if we know that Jesus Christ is sovereign, that he is indeed the central figure, that he is supreme, 
So in the face of odds and difficult moment, we can still be strong. Satan's attempt is to make us weak. And finally, Paul says, God says through Paul, and wants us to see and to feel that our salvation in Christ is invincible. Colossians 3, 3 to 4 tells us, For you have died, and your life has been safely guarded by the Messiah in God. In other words, it's been hid in Christ in God. That's better than any security system I know on your province. Or ADT in any place outside of this country. Our salvation is secure with Christ. It is indeed invincible, secured forever in Christ. I like what John Piper once says. It says, in the end, everything and everyone serves to magnify the glory of our Savior and increase the gladness of his people in him. My brothers and sisters, I leave you with these words from Peter, the epistle of Peter, chapter 1. Verse 2 to 12 says this, 2 verse 12. Continue to live such upright lives among the Gentiles that when they slander you as practitioners of evil, they may see your good actions and glorify God when he visits them. First Peter 4.16 says, But if you suffer for being a Christian, do not feel ashamed, but glorify God with that name. We are expected to suffer. It comes with the package of being a Christian. The devil won't let you have it any other way. And yet, God has anticipated what the devil will do. And still, God will allow that to happen. Nothing happens to you without God knowing it and allowing it to happen. If God doesn't want it to happen, it will not happen. God is sovereign. And so if we see everything that we personally experience through the lens of the fact that God is supreme, that he is sovereign, then we have a better perspective of how to live this world, to represent him, to bring glory and honor to his name. And again, as I said at the beginning, the Father has predetermined that his, from the foundations of the world, that his son would be glorified. Everything was created for his pleasure. You and I were created for his pleasure, for his glory. The question you and I have to ask ourselves is, are we giving him pleasure? Are we living in such a way that God receives all the glory? That's a very personal question. And only you can answer that honestly. God knows your heart. It is my prayer that you will answer that, and I believe And I hope that it will be in the affirmative. And if not, then you know what you need to do. Get right with God in this particular matter. God never said oops when he chose you. Please don't let him down. He's worthy to be praised. Let us pray. Our Father, thank you for reminding us about your son. You've said so much. There's so much to say about him. Thank you for giving us this litany of attributes about him, we can be assured and comforted as we live from day to day by your grace that we have been provided with all that we need to live godly in this world today. 
Strengthen our hearts with your word. Give us an insatiable appetite to know you through your word and to commune with you through prayer. And we commit even now afresh again today to bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.